Welcome to the Work Hard, Play Hard podcast. My name is Rob Murgatroyd, and I'm a former doctor turned lifestyle entrepreneur. Each week, I interview some of the best minds on the planet on the science of achievement and the art of fulfillment. Come take this journey with me. Excuses are over. It's time to live. He said to me, I know you're going to do dumb things. However, you're a leader and you're such a leader that if everybody is going left, but something in you says you have to go right, you'll do it anyway. I began to be able to, to really look with the eye behind the eye and see what was happening. And of course, I, I went through some period of anger and blame, but ultimately came to a realization that love is all there is, was, and ever will be. So many of us are completely cut off from our own humanity. To the degree that we're cut off from our own humanity is the degree that we are cut off from everyone in our lives, including those who we love the most. All right, before we jump into this episode, I want to invite you to be considered for my Work Hard, Play Hard Mastermind by completing an application at workhardplayhardmastermind.com. So this mastermind is not like any mastermind you may have been to or heard of, I promise you. This mastermind is for six to seven figure entrepreneurs that are working too damn much and aren't taking the time to have amazing experiences around the world with an incredible tribe of people. So every hundred days or so, I drop you into new experiences that are specifically designed to elevate your thinking, to give you new ideas. Look, you get your best ideas not staring at a computer. And actually, this is the way high-level people really collaborate with each other. They do it over a glass of champagne, watching the sunset in the south of France. And we'll be doing things just like that. In fact, we'll be taking a vintage car ride through the French Riviera this summer. And we'll be truffle hunting in Florence in the fall, to name just a few of the experiences so that I can give you a feel for it. So if you are ready to do some fun stuff around the world and really, really want to level up your tribe in one shot. Fill out an application at workhardplayhardmastermind.com. We'll jump on a call and we'll see if it's a good fit. All right, let's jump into today's episode. What's up, everybody? This is Rob Murgatroyd. Welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard show. This episode features Preston Smiles. You can find him on Instagram and elsewhere at Preston Smiles. I wanted to have Preston on the show because he was one of the speakers at a mastermind that I was just at. And I have to tell you, he blew me away. He has found a way to create a multi-million dollar business be himself and really, really, really be freaking happy, like like contagiously happy. I mean, he, I just, I love this guy. I love this guy. So be sure to take a screenshot of this episode, share it on the socials, and remember to tag me and Preston Smiles and let us know what you thought. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation I had with Preston. Preston, welcome to the show. Appreciate you, man. Let's do it. (laughs) That is officially the first (laughs) I have ever gotten. You know, I have to tell you, the moment that I heard you speak at my mastermind, I said, you know what, man? This is my brother from another mother. I mean, we are 
soulmates, absolute soulmates. I don't have any of the coolness you have, but inside <laughs> it's in there. <laughs> I hear you, man. I hear you. Uh, I, I appreciate that. And you do, you definitely do have the coolness. It's just a different kind of coolness. Um, so uh, it's a different kind. Yeah, man. Yeah. That was a really cool, cool connection and, and meeting point for all of us that day. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, we're going to touch on a couple of things um, in that weekend. But first, I just wanted to thank you for making the time. I know that your schedule is insane <laughs> and you're blowing up. And um, the fact that you were willing to do this for me on such short notice means a lot to me. So I just want to th- say thank you. Absolutely, man. And, and I will receive that and send it right back to you um, and say thank you on behalf of all the listeners and all the people out there who receive value from your yes from your willingness to step into something without knowing whether it would quote unquote pay off or not. And that's a big deal. I think that a lot of us get a lot of insights and and powerful things from podcasts like yourself. And not often enough do you hear, thank you, like deeply thank you for saying yes to something when you didn't know how it would turn out. And, you know, oftentimes, especially when you're starting out, there's no, there's no um, return per se, other than giving the gift to other people. That is so, such a good point. You are so right. And I want to, I want to talk more about that as we get into um, your story. Um, I think what we'll do if you're down for it is we'll first kind of talk about the science of achievement and how you have helped coach people to create uh, a life of authenticity and joy. And then we'll flip it and we'll move into the art of fulfillment. That'll be the play hard part of the work hard flip. And we'll talk about some things that maybe you do and maybe with your family to feel more fulfilled. And then we'll wrap with some rapid fire questions. Cool? Done. Let's get it. So I think a good jumping off point would be to learn if you are Preston Smiles or Preston Davis, because you have screwed my research up in such a big way. <laughs> which, which pre- will, the, will, the, will the real Slim Shady please stand up? <laughs> please stand up. Yeah, that song was so good. You know, in essence, I am, I'm beyond, you know, name. I think it was Shakespeare that said... Uh, a road. Wait, actually, I'm not even going to butcher it. However, I will say this: I'm I'm Preston Smiles. Uh, Preston Davis is uh, a slave name, and knowing that my roots come from Senegal, and knowing that nobody there was called Davis, I'm pretty sure that it, it it's not something that I claim per se. The reason why I keep that name officially in the government is really just based on a conversation with my father. My dad asked me not to change it uh, officially through the government. And so uh, honoring him and his legacy, I say yes to that. But it, you know, if we're speaking about my truth, my, my name is Preston Smiles. And that name was given to me by a janitor in Louisiana, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, at Louisiana State University about 12, 13 years ago. And instantly... Like I knew that it felt right. I didn't even take it on immediately. It, it was a few years later that I went, ah, that's my name. And that changed everything. So if that's... I, I love that. The quote, I just Googled it for you um, because I, I, I would have butchered it too. It's a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. Yes, there we go. 
There we go. That's what you that's what you were after. Okay, so you grew up in the 80s in Compton, California. And for the benefit of our international listeners who may not know that area, can you sort of describe what living there was like for you in your younger years? And you can pick any time period that works for you. Uh, Absolutely. Um, Compton, for those of you who've heard of NWA or even that movie straight out of Compton, uh, at that particular time, it was probably one of the most dangerous neighborhoods in the United States of America and was heavily gang territory and drugs and and things of this nature. And also a lot of amazing, beautiful, dropped in powerful people. Um, who happened to be poor, who happened to not have as much money as the rest of, uh, you know, the people in some of the neighboring cities. And so that's where I, I, I was born. I was slightly raised there. And then my parents, out of a fear of having me end up being a statistic, st- statistic, uh, ended up moving us to Harbor City, California, which was a gigantic step up um, in like a Dennis the Menace kind of neighborhood from which I still ended up joining a gang and busting windows and fighting and um, having some of my friends, watching some of my friends get killed and things of that nature. If my research is right, around 11, you found yourself joining a gang. Looking back on that now, through your adult eyes, why do you think you joined the gang? Oh, it's simple, easy. I mean, it's the same reason why people join all kinds of stuff. It's why we join masterminds. It's why we join anything. It's because we want to feel acceptance. We want to feel a part of something. And and especially at 11, when my nervous system uh, was still forming, my, my brain, my testosterone, all those hormones pumping without a rites of passage, without something to go into, to, to you know, to declare and, and have um, a direction you know, will be left to be taught by the streets or TV or the internet. Now, these days, most kids are raised by the internet. Now, back then, we were raised by, by, by the music and the gangs. And, and so that's what, what I ended up doing. I'm highly grateful for it at this point. There was, there was some aspects in, in times in my life where I wasn't, but I'm pretty, um, I think it's really beautiful that it happened that way because I have a deeper understanding of the human experience because I went that route. Yeah, I bet. I mean, but this was the real deal. I mean, at 15, uh, you opted out of taking a ride with your friends and it turned out that there was, there was a higher power that was guiding you that night because all of your friends wound up dead. Can you sort of take me back to that moment and maybe what was going through your head when you found out and how that was a pivotal moment in your life? Uh, yeah, absolutely, man. Um, and just to correct it because not all of them ended up dead. All of them were shot. One of them, my best friend Scott was shot in the head and died. That was a huge catalyst moment in my life because up until that point, you know, you're 15, you think that you're invincible and we were doing things that were pretty dangerous, but it's just, it never landed that, that any of us could actually die. My father at 11 years old when he caught me smoking weed, sat me down and, and told me to think about everybody I knew who smoked weed. And, and, and then he said, you know, I'm going to give you 24 hours to think about it. And I want you to ask yourself, do you want their life? Because if you do what they do, you're going to have what they have, which was genius of him at that time, especially for an 11 year old. Cause I thought I was just going to get my Nintendo and basketball taken away. And instead he just told me to think, 
And so when I came back the next day, uh, I made the decision that I wasn't going to do that anymore. Um, and he said to me, and, and this is one of the reasons why my life has been changed forever. He said to me, I know you're going to be a little boy. I know you're going to do dumb things. However, you're a leader and you're such a leader that if everybody is going left, but something in you says you have to go right, you'll do it anyway. Now, he spoke life into me. He spoke leadership into me. He empowered me at 11 years old to believe in my own um, magic. Before I even understood the word intuition or even could spell it, he was speaking that into me. And so fast forward to 15 when Scott called and said, yo, we're, come, we're going out tonight and we're going to go drink and do stupid stuff. Intuitively, something said, don't go. And, and, and my dad's voice and that energy popped back into my head and I said, no. And of course, you know, an hour later, they were all shot. At 15, I didn't know how to be with that. I didn't know how to even process it. So I don't, I don't even think I cried. Like it was very interesting. And I, and I think this is a, a big point for a lot of men, no matter how you grew up, a lot of us were raised not to be, um, and excuse my language here, not to be little pussies. And the, the, the type of macho idealism of what a man is, you know, by, your, by the time you're 15, you don't even know how to access those feelings, even when something so big like that happens. And so for me, that was a game changer because I ended up moving to Pennsylvania, checking into uh, a school in, in North Allegheny County, which was one of the sort of wealthiest counties. And it was legitimately like, I don't know if you, you probably have. Have you seen Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? I have. That was my next question. I was going to ask you, I said, you know, your parents, uh, I was going to say your parents made this decision to move you out of this school into an all white school. How did that fresh Prince of Bel-Air time period shape your life? Yeah, it was trippy, man. It was trippy because it wasn't different. It was different and it wasn't like, of course they had, you know, bigger toys and, you know, like I joined a new gang, which was called Wexford mafia. And my buddy, Brad, you know, he had this brand new BMW and, and, and the, all the other guys had Mercedes and they had turf football fields. And of course, you know, the, the way that the, the city lines were set up. They, their schools got more money, which means they got better teachers and better everything. And I stumbled upon environmental psych psychology at 15 and a half. I started to realize that we weren't different per se, but, but the, the way that the container, the context was set up would determine the content, right? So the context determines the content. And so if we have a context, a container of filth and less than and lack and limitation and, um, you know, where the school doesn't get any money and the teachers don't care, then the content, AKA the students will, will be determined by that. Well, if you give, you know, a school, a bunch of money and have a whole system set up where those people see themselves. And even in the history books and the things they're reading and the things they're learning, it's all these sort of great white American heroes. Then even if they are listening to rap and drinking and smoking weed, there's an aspect of them that believes that they're going to go to Yale while the other kids believe they're going to go to jail. And it is done unto you as you believe. And so this changed everything for me because I began to see underneath the veil. I began to be able to, to really look with the eye behind the eye and see what was happening. 
And of course, I, I went through some period of anger and blame, but ultimately came to a realization that love is all there is, was, and ever will be. And, you know, when Jesus, and not that I'm religious at all, but when Jesus was nailed to the, to the cross, supposedly, he said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And that, for me, was, was a similar thing. When I, when I really dropped in, I was like, ah, most of these people are just operating without really understanding the, the repercussions because they think that we're separate. They think that there's a white person and a black person and there's a Democrat and a Republican. They don't understand that we are all humans on earth. We are all beings on a planet. The, the universe, God, Jesus, Buddha, source intelligence is asking something of us, but most of us cannot hear that ask because we're so caught up in the separation and the lack and limitation and the illusion that we are separate. And this, Rob, changed everything for me because that's when I began to really step up and step in and remind people of the one truth, which is love. God, there was so much in what you said. I have 20 different directions I'm going to go in. But one of, the, one, of the, one of the things that you said made me think of something. And I'm just going to tell this to you because it just hit me. But there's a, there's a Netflix show that Will Smith just did. It's called something like This Crazy Rock. And it's uh, where he interviews um, astronauts who look down on the earth mm-hmm. and just, you know sort of describe um, the earth as just one place. And we look at ourselves so separately and I just kind of like got a hit that you would love that. So um, you got to check it out. I'll send you the uh, I'll send you the link. One of the questions I get a lot personally is around relationship because my wife and I, very similar to you, uh, do a lot of traveling and we do a lot of things uh, together. So I answer those questions as best as I can. But I'd like to kind of talk to you um, since I have somebody who I really feel like in many ways has a very similar relationship and a very similar lifestyle to my wife and I. We travel around the world a lot. We have a four-year-old uh, daughter, and I think that there's a lot of similarities. So I'd like to start with your relationship prior to your wife, which we'll get into in a second, which was just really a relationship with a girl named Olivia. And you found yourself sort of, you're laughing at me, aren't you? You found yourself sort of- How did you find that, bro? That's good. (laughs) Well, you know, you found yourself that you were like, you were trying to fix her problems or fix it when she was upset. And I think a lot of us men do that. How have you taught yourself to not fix your partner's problems? Mm, Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting thing. Nature, not versus nurture, but nature and nurture is something we're up against and we get to use. So men and women are not the same. We don't have the same hormones pumping through our bodies. We have different gray and white matter in our brain, like we're not the same. And so this has been a long road for me. And I'd say I'm just coming into mastery, into especially that thing, which is the the fixing the feminine by its very nature, and I mean the feminine within each and every one of us and the feminine within what we would call females, women, is all over the place. And it is always moving, changing, and uh, shifting. And the masculine by its very nature is stillness. The way that we have been nurtured, there we go, is the most interesting man in the world 
and um, Hulk Hogan and G.I. Joe's and every president and all every movie you can think of. The guy always has the right answer. He's always calm, cool and collective in the old Westerns. He always had it figured out. And so the nurturing aspect of us that we've seen, that, that society has helped shape the idea of man is so deep and starts so early that a lot of men don't know how to do anything other than that. And it causes the biggest issues in the world. Women say all the time, I just want to feel safe. Right? And, and what's interesting is that I believe men want the same thing. We just don't say it in that way. And what they mean by safe is they want to be able to share their, quote, I'm doing quotes here, their feelings, which a lot of times are not feelings. They are opinions about their men. I feel like you don't care about me. I feel like you aren't paying attention to the kids or whatever the case may be. These aren't feelings. These are opinions. However, when a woman shares these things, she wants and is looking for her man to be a space, a container, back to the context, determines the content, a space for her to express without defense or trying to fix. And this is one of the most difficult things in the world when it's coming straight at you. So women, if you're listening, this is like our Achilles heel, and it would be for you as well. We're, We're set up differently. I love women. And I always say the thing that drives me crazy about my wife is the thing that drives me crazy about my wife. I, I, I love it. I love the polarity. I want to screw her. I like, I want to just devour her all the time. And she triggers the crap out of me. Like it's, it's this beautiful thing. And I do the same for her. And so, yes, with my relationship with Olivia, I was constantly trying to fix every issue she had. I also got into the relationship with Alexi still with that same paradigm until I started to really stop and listen and slow down to the speed of wisdom and allow myself to really be present with what's happening under the words, right? Because a lot of times men and myself included take things personally because we're just listening to the words. But what's happening under the words is a, a scared little girl or somebody expressing who just wants a hug, who just wants to be heard, who just wants to be seen, who just wants to be held in that moment. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. Let's uh, let's introduce uh, your uh, the love of your life, which is Alexi Panos, and I'm assuming she's Greek. Is that right? Indeed, she is. Okay, okay. So, and the, and the only reason why I know that is because my wife and I went to a Greek island called Paros, and any, I think anything with a vowel and an S indicates Greece. So that's uh, that came across my radar. Can you sort of tell us the story of how she viewed your first date? as a meeting, but you saw it as a date. Oh, for sure. So it's just a little quick backstory. Um, I was on a blind date when I met my wife. And when I saw her, I instantly knew that she was my wife, Um, which was, it was like straight out of a movie. It was one of those moments where I was like, you got to be kidding me. This is it. Like out of all the women I've dated, out of all the people I've met, out of 7.7 billion people on the planet, this is my person. This is a person I will build with. This is a person I will laugh with. I will cry with. Like it all came rushing to me in one moment. And so- But you were on a date. I was on a date. I was on a date with someone else. Yeah. And uh, it was uh, interesting to say the least. And a little more backstory, before I ever met her in the physical- she was dating one of my friend's friends. 
And he messaged me from London saying, I'm in London. My buddy missed his flight. So I'm hanging out with his girl. His girl is like the female version of you. Her name is Alexi. I think you guys will work together one day. Little did he know that he was right. Although he didn't understand that he was setting me up to take his girls, you know, that whole thing. Um, And so we messaged back and forth. I saw her. I was holding space for my queen, for my one. I was in that I was in that, I was in that, that field at that time. But when I saw her, I was like, wow, she's beautiful. She does work in Africa, like awesome chick. Right. And she's in London and I live in LA. And so I'm not doing a long distance relationship. My, my one's going to be somewhere here. Well, fast forward to weeks later, I bought tickets to the show, ended up going on this blind date with this girl, sit down. They sit me down because we're late. They say, we have two more seats. And next to my date was Alexi. And that was a game changer. And so when we, the show was over, I said to her, you know, super awkward. I was like, well, if you're ever free for coffee, I would love to meet up. And she's like, yeah, yeah, sure. Let's meet up. And like, you know, I'm thinking like, hey, there's so much energy pumping at this point. And so we text. And uh, I think a week later, we meet up uh, at this uh, spot and she's looking at the menu and I come up behind her and sort of like put my, my groin on her back and like hug her from behind. And she instantly like rolls out of it and like, like karate chops me, like, what are you doing? Kind of thing, which was, you know, very forward of me as well. And I I realized, especially in this me too climate that that would have been, I was going to say she, she got me too. Yeah, 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 for sure. For sure. Um, You know, and honest mistake, you know, like I, I was reading into something that, wasn't necessarily fully in play at that time. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. you know, based on results and our one-year-old child and, you know, the million-dollar business we've created together. She was, she was feeling you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and so, yeah, man, it was, it was a, a meeting for her. It was a date for me. And by the, by the halfway through, it became a date for her as well. And we ended up, that 45 minutes that she scheduled into her phone turned into four hours of walking up and down the street on this spot called Larchmont and just joking and laughing and flirting. And it was like, it was clear. Like it just, every, every step of the way I got clearer and clearer that this was my wife. Um, and, and it's so crazy. I just did a, uh, a podcast interview with the uh, creator of everybody loves Raymond, Phil Rosenthal. And he was, uh, he did the podcast interview, wait for it on Larchmont's on his iPhone. <laughs> How do you like them apples? How long ago was that first meeting? Uh, just almost five years ago. Okay. So in 2016, you two kids get married. And in 2017, a beautiful baby boy named Kingston. Yes. I think it's Ken- Kingston Ra. Is that right? Indeed. All right. Kingston Ra enters your life. So I'd like to get a little granular on how you two are navigating family life. You are both speakers. You have a similar line of work. On a typical day when you are both at home, how do you navigate who's watching the kid while the other one is going to work on their projects? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's been, that's, we're actually nailing that, especially right now. And I feel very privileged to, to understand something at a deeper level and to, and to be willing to sidestep any pride that would have me thinking of it in another way. And that is, it takes a village to raise a child. 
And I like people say that, but they don't actually do it. And we allow the village. We have a small village dropped in, connected people we trust deeply. However, if I only relied, if, I, if, if my son only had me in this little siloed bubble to look at the flavor of the masculine, then that would be a very limited flavor, uh, sort of understanding. But if he had, let's say, Uncle Rob, who was around all the time as well, and, and, and different people who could reflect a different flavor of the masculine and the feminine for him, then we're helping create a well-rounded uh, human being that you know, can, can really give his gifts. And so how we navigate that is, is that we, we receive support and we pay for it. Um, he has two nannies, uh, two babysitters, two grandmothers, one of which lives in this town, right down the street. He's always taken care of. Uh, we have a joint schedule. We know that uh, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, we're both going to be working at the same time. And any other of those days, if it's something big, it goes in the joint schedule. If it's not, it's assumed that we'll both be there. So for instance, he's been on this planet for one year and a week. And out of those days, I've only missed maybe 10 days total of putting him to bed. So I sing to him almost every single night of his life thus far and make a way to move mountains and be a part of his life. And she is the same. And so we're just navigating, man. We're, we're being present and seeing what's there and allowing the tribe and the village. We have cameras all over our house as well. So we watch people when they're watching him. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's beautiful, man. It's beautiful. What struggles on the flip side, what struggles have you had in this area that you're still trying to work out? And you're like, I just, I just, we just can't get this thing right. I think it's less about him and more about making sure that we carve out time for us to play, for us to connect, for us to get out of CEO and that brain and into marriage and play and joy and connection and sexiness and tickles and butt grabs and all of that stuff. It's interesting. That is the precise reason why I created my work hard, play hard mastermind. And it's specifically done around the world. It's like we're doing, uh, we're going to Monaco. We got helicopter rides in Monaco. We're going to Italy and we're going to go truffle hunting because it's really, really difficult when you are building businesses to take the time to enjoy things uh, with your spouse. That is one of the most common struggles that people have. You two travel as much as my wife and I do, maybe maybe more. How are things different for you now that you have a uh, a baby? <laughs> Super different, man. Like we used to go to Africa every single year, and and since he's been here, and it'll probably be a few more before we go back. But there's we've chosen not to uh, vaccinate him with you know like the forty four shots uh, that they want to give kids uh, before they're like two, and so we're we're careful. Uh, where where we take him. Not that Africa's terrible or anything of that nature, but there's just certain places and the way that we travel that we cannot do the same way yet. And so it's just a yet. It's a dot, dot, yet. However, like for instance, we've been going to Mykonos in Greece for a few years and, and this year we took him and that 2018 we took him and uh, that was a lot different. However, we still navigated it. So, you know, we'd wake up no matter what, I wake up at about 4.35 a.m. every morning. And I'm a morning person. So I take him out in the morning, out on the beach. And 
listen to an audio book and walk around with him and play as the sun comes up on the water. And then by you know, 6, 7 a.m., Kingston's back with Alexi for a couple hours and I'm um, swimming and doing some writing, making some videos. And then I'm back and then we tag team and we both have them. And then we, we, we bring a nanny with us now as well. So it's a little more challenging and yet I wouldn't have it any other way because we're with our child and he's pure joy. You know, this is so interesting. We, so many people have told me about you before I met you. They said, dude, you have so much in common. And just what you said, you know, my, uh, my four-year-old has been to 16 countries already, right? And um, we have gone to Mykonos for a month every year for the last 10 years. In fact, I went with some mutual friends of, fr- friends of ours, Lewis Howes, uh, Chris and Lori Harder, uh, Josh and Sarah Pendrick, uh, this, this last go around. And my daughter hasn't been vaccinated and I'm flying to uh, California on Monday uh, to meet with a doctor because the laws there, as you know, are crazy. So I'm meeting with a doctor about uh, my reasons for exemption, which I'll share with you when, uh, when the time comes, because I'm sure that you're going to be in the same situation where you're going to need to do something. So you know, anyway, really ends. We're moving uh, in October to Manhattan Beach, so we'll be, uh, yes. we'll be pretty damn close to each other as neighbors. Yes. Um, That's so awesome! Yeah, lots of uh, lots of parallel lives here. I want to talk a little bit about some work that you've done in as far as uh, training. For somebody that's just sort of starting out in the world of self development and improvement, you know, they're they're kind of just trying to they're just trying to find their way. And it's very easy when, when somebody, easy is a bad word, when, when somebody sees you speak, it looks so effortless and it looks like you have it so put together and that you've found this place, and I'm sure you have, of such joy and such happiness. But I know what's behind that is a lot of work. It's a lot of reading. It's a lot of courses, etc. So is there any particular training that you've done? And, and if, if I did, if I met, if um, my research is right, you may have done some training in an area called next level. Is that right? Maybe. Is, is that like a MITT kind of deal? Yes, that's exactly what it is. Yep, for sure. Yep, I have. Okay, so is there anything that you would recommend as, you know, sort of the, uh, the gateway drug for somebody just starting out saying, I just... You know, I'm not happy. There's a lot of things going on in my life. And, you know, somebody new to the world of self-development that sort of wants to get some of Preston Smiles' uh, juice. Yeah, man. Um, I, you know, honestly, and I say this from the humblest place possible, the Bridge Experience, which is the workshop that Alexi and I created and Extreme Leadership are, in my opinion, especially Extreme uh, are the two best workshops in the world right now as, as it pertains to transformation and deep end, like real powerhouse work because we're combining, we're combining a lot of what you only get one piece of in certain areas. So it's an experiential, somatic, there's, there's lots of different types of therapy and really just a willingness to go anywhere and everywhere to make sure that people leave cellularly different. And, and that's a big deal. I think that a lot of people have experienced traumas that they don't know they've experienced because we've, we've equated trauma to shock trauma. 
there's something called complex trauma or developmental trauma, like, you know, something as simple as having a emotionally unavailable father or a mother who, you know, is so sexual and has sexualized you or the opposite, someone who's completely cut off or, you know, there's, there's all these little things that add up. A lot of times people come in our rooms and have some profound, deep realizations about themselves and their lives and, and what's operating them. You know, I think I had a conversation with you and the crew at the mastermind about how I would get triggered by Alexi using a lot of toothpaste. Well, <laughs> you know, I told my wife that story. It's funny <laughs> as shit. I told my wife, and she goes, "You do that shit." Yeah, yeah. So maybe, maybe you can you can kind of just hit the high points on that for the people that aren't listening <laughs> that don't know the story. Yeah, yeah. So, so in our trainings, we teach that we are, you know, th- there's four aspects of the human being, um, and one of those aspects is social and historical, which means we were born into beliefs and interpretations. I'm going to say that again. We were born into beliefs and interpretations. Now, a lot of us have certain beliefs and interpretations that have gone unexamined. They are, of course, of courses that live in our body. Like, of course you do this. Of course you don't spend that. Of course, you know, rich people are X, Y, and Z. Of course, black people are this. Like, and, and those are like extremes. There's like really subtle things as well. And so, you know, teaching these things, every time we teach them, every time we lead these workshops, I learn more about me as well because we're in the work with you. And so I had this realization this past year of of really looking at like how I was triggered by my wife, the way she would use toothpaste. Like we would, she, we would brush our teeth together at night and she would use so much of it that we would have to get a new bottle like every two weeks. And I, I remember being so triggered by it, but I wouldn't say anything. And then I, I started to look at and be in the work around socially and historically, what was I born into? And so my wife, um, not my wife, my mom was, was born in, in Watts, California with rats and roaches crawling over her, not being able to eat some nights and like straight up lack, like super, super poor. And so my mom made a decision that her kids would never have to have that experience. And the truth is, is that we haven't. And yet, just because she moved to a different city and let this land for all of you guys who think that the new job or the new city is the thing that's going to change, even though she moved to a new city, the paradigm didn't change. The context of lack and limitation and scarcity didn't change. And so she generationally passed that down to me. And so my whole life, I've had a lot of my life, I had this sort of like, oh, there's not enough. There's not enough. And so I always penny pinched and watched everything. And I was always that kid who, you know, I could make, you know, a bottle of lotion last for like seven months because what if we don't get another bottle or, or things of that nature? And so I began to recognize that socially and historically, I was, I was carrying my mom's lack and limitation. And it wasn't no longer mine. It wasn't mine in the first place. And so I, I, awareness comes before choice. So now that I had this awareness, I have a new choice in how I was being with my wife and, and the way she was using the toothpaste. Mm, what a story. Not, not only did you do that story, but then you flipped it. You did something completely different. 
that I was unprepared for. I've done a lot of personal development through the years, but this one takes the case. You took us through an exercise. I'm going to butcher it, so feel free to, to interrupt me, jump in wherever you want. But basically, you, you brought us through an exercise where we effectively had to pick a partner, hold on to him, hug him for five minutes, right? It was like, it sounds like, yeah, that's not that big a deal. Except until you do it. <laughs> and when you do it, you start going through some weird shit. So for example, our mutual friend, the one who was running the mastermind, Chris Harder's brother was doing the uh, the tech side of the event. And for whatever reason, I didn't have a partner next to me. Somebody else grabbed a partner. So I looked over at Nick and I said, okay, you'll be my partner. I don't, I don't know what we're doing, but we'll do it. And Nick and I have been friends for years, you know, just two dudes, you know, that know each other for a long time. Yep. And you walk us through this exercise where we have to hug each other. I had no idea that you were not going to allow me to let go. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm hugging him. I'm like, okay, Preston, this is starting to get weird. Like, okay, you know? And then after sweating and feeling like I was going to shit in my pants three minutes in, I was like, what? Why is this so mm-hmm. hard? I love Nick. I'm a I'm a guy that's always wanting to grow, but for 5 minutes as you sort of like guided us through this, you know, you narrated this is somebody's son, this is somebody's brother, you know, everything that you said, we both started crying yes. and it was such an amazing experience. So where did that come from and why do you do it? Beautiful. And, and you, you didn't butcher it. But I think that the only thing you didn't add was that uh, I have you guys staring into each other's eyes and speak. Oh, that's right. <laughs> that was, by the way, that was selective amnesia. Yes, yes. I had you guys staring into each other's eyes for a little bit, which was, you know, a thing as well. And we do it because so many of us are completely cut off from our own humanity. To the degree that we're cut off from our own humanity is the degree that we are cut off from everyone in our lives, including those who we love the most. And so that exercise is an opportunity to drop back into the heart and remember that there's only one of us here. If you really pay attention, your hearts actually start to sync up, whether it's a guy or a girl or whoever it is, because there's there's an aspect of humanity where, where, where there's just one, there's just oneness. We have something called mirror neurons. And this was, this was actually discovered in the seventies, um, by a scientist who was eating a sandwich while he had a monkey connected to, uh, these electrodes to his brain. And every time the, the scientist ate the sandwich on his break, the, the aspect or the part of the monkey's brain that was connected to hunger and pleasure would fire off. And so he said, holy crap, maybe that we have these same things as humans. And of course we do. And this to me is nature's gods, whatever you want to call it, way of reminding us that we're all connected, deeply connected. And especially with men, we rarely belly to belly allow ourselves to be seen. We rarely belly to belly allow ourselves to be transparent and or also another way of saying that is vulnerable and you know the awkwardness and all the other stuff that comes up is a part of breaking down the bullshit idea about what a man is and isn't well you definitely did it because my bullshit was called so that was uh 
that was some great shit. Okay, let's flip. Uh, let's flip it and let's move from the kind of work you do into the play hard part of your life, which is more on the let's call it fulfillment side. When you look at periods in your life where you feel like you are in the zone, however you want to define that, what are some of the daily or weekly practices that you've spotted in terms of, let's say, pattern recognition that when you look back on those sweet spots, when you've been performing really, really well and feeling really, really good, are there any particular daily or weekly practices or morning habits or whatever comes to mind that you see as consistent? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, this is my job. I, I, I spend no, all my time thinking about the human experience and using myself as a science project for it. Um, so I have, I'm crystal clear on what has been working and what works the most for me and a lot of people. I'll start with number one is a deep connection to nature, no matter where I am in the world. I think that a lot of us forget to recharge in the sun. Uh, a lot of us forget to take our shoes and socks off and put them in the dirt. You know, we become so sterile and so um, castrated that, that we've forgotten that wild aspect of ourselves. And so I connect back to nature. The, anytime I'm, I'm surfing, swimming, just sun gazing, allowing myself to, to, to be in nature, my life is always firing. Number two, and I did this in 2016. Yep, 2016. Every year I have a theme for the year. And for 2016, it was play. And so I decided that I was going to schedule in play every year. I mean, every day of that year, which meant that I would always take a break to go do something fun every single day of 2016. And I tell you no lies, everything blew up then. That was like a game changer. And of course, I got in trouble for it at times with my wife. She's like, wait, we're in the middle of a launch. You're going to go skateboard? Like, yep, I sure am. But like whenever I'm playing, like in being intentional about what fills my cup, uh, it, it's a game changer. Can you give me an example of what, uh, like give me two or three examples of what play looks like. Skateboarding, what else? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't even have, you don't even have to leave the house. It could be as simple as like, so, so I teach something called reasonless joy, right? And, and I have my students do this thing that we I, I call joy alarms. So I have them set three alarms in their phone. And every day those alarms go off. You stop and just go into the deepest forms of gratitude and joy. Just sounds and body and just like just the stupidest, just giggles, smiles. You can't help but to raise your vibration when you do this. And you don't need a reason to do it. We can, we can move into reasonless joy at any point in our lives. And so that's one example. It doesn't even have to have anything to it. You can just laugh for the sake of laughing. You can smile for 35 seconds and then giggle. You can do a weird dance or make a stupid face. You can do a cartwheel. Um, there was a point before my wife was pregnant where, and she will attest to this, I still touch her butt a lot, but back then I would... <laughs> I would chase her around the house and like body slam her. And then once I slammed her on the bed, then I would run from like the other side of the house and do like a dive bomb on top of her and then tickle the crap out of her. And I would do this probably every other day. And of course she'd be like, seriously, don't. And I'm like, it's already happening. And then it was so fun. 
so fun. It's so much joy. Joy and creativity are some of the, like they, they spawn life. Like there's, this is one of the best things you could do for yourself and the planet is to purposely do things that fill your cup. For me, surfing is huge. And just to spin out of this and go to another habit that's deeply connected to this, I do probably once a week what we call a primal scream, where I go out into nature or I go in my car and I roll the windows up and I scream at the top of my lungs, beating my chest, stomping my feet, just letting any energy that wants to be like moved to move. Because the body is a living library that stores all trauma. Everything we've ever been through is stored in the body. And so when we, when we scream, when we primal scream, we allow the body to clear some of that energy. Dude, there's so much in that. <laughs> that was amazing. So many of the people that listen to this podcast are people that, you know, they've done really, really well with their life, but they're not, you know, they're not, they're just not having the fun that they want to have. They're certainly not doing primal screening and they're not skateboarding in the middle of the day. Which one of your courses would you recommend for somebody that is trying to add more reasonless joy into their life or, you know, just having, having more fun? Yes. You know, like the, you talked about setting the joy alarms and things like that. Like, you know, sometimes people just need a little bit of training. Absolutely. Absolutely. And here's the thing. Nothing is done in a bubble. Everybody needs support. We need help. Anybody who's doing anything extraordinary has coaches and support. So of course, of course, right? That, once I figured that out, my life changed forever. You know, I'm in a $90,000 program right now, like a mastermind. And did I want to spend that money? Not necessarily, but I understood the value of investing in myself and investing in support and mentorship and coaching. And so anything, I, I think it's, it's, my mentor explained it to me like this. Two people walk into a, into a bookstore they're going to see different books based on their vortex, their paradigm, their, their way of being, um, their social and historical programming. And so if, if, let's say, Preston Smile's book jumps off the page for you, if you walk into, and I'm doing quotes here, a bookstore in my book, my energy jumps off the page, you kind of can't go wrong because it's clear that I am a vibrational match for what you need in that moment. So... I have Man Cave, which is a three-month rites of passage for men. It's fantastic and amazing. I have Stress 22, which is for men and women. It's a six-month total freedom boot camp. It's absolutely amazing. I do one-on-one coaching, high-level one-on-one coaching, so it's not cheap. And uh, the Bridge Experience, which is Alexi and I's uh, two-day experiential workshop, is so next level. If you can get in a room with us, your life will be changed forever. Yeah, I can I can attest to that. I've been uh, I've been a part of that life changing uh, stuff that uh, Preston's talking about. So you know, as we wrap, a um, couple more questions I want to talk about in the area of fulfillment, um, and it's just kind of like a, a first first uh, thing that comes to mind. If you could spend one month anywhere in the world, where would it be, and why? Mm, interesting. That answer changes. Um, and it has changed and it changes quite a bit. But I'd say the first thing that comes to mind, the first thing that came to mind was this, uh, this island where there's really good surf. Uh, but I don't know if I would want to spend a month there. So but if I really have an opportunity to think about it, it would be Senegal. Senegal um, and uh, West Africa. Uh, because I did the DNA test and I know that my, my, I come from there and they have uh, good surf 
and you know, my people. I want to see them. I want to see them dance and be and all that stuff. So I would go there for sure. <clears throat> if you can go to only one restaurant before you die, where would your last meal be? Ooh, um, there's this little hole in the wall called Cafe Brazil uh, here in LA that is absolutely amazing. And they have this beautiful salmon dish with the black beans and this particular sauce. And it's just so good. It it would be there. Okay. Well, I am flying into LA on Monday morning and that's where I'm going. I'm taking the family there for lunch Monday afternoon. (laughs) Yes. I love that. What is um, the one thing that you've always wanted to learn, but haven't gotten around to yet? Guitar and singing. Easy. You know, that's the number one, that's the number one answer. That's interesting. Really, really interesting. And uh, Lori Harder, that she was the last one I interviewed and she said the exact same thing. Really interesting. What would your friends say is one of your superpowers? Observation. What's one of the things you're afraid of right now? Not staying connected to my wife. What keeps you up at night? Nothing. What's the one book that you have reread the most? Conversations with God, book one. What's your guilty pleasure? Burning Man. What's the one thing that you own and should probably throw out, but you're just not going to do it? (laughs) A bunch of surfboards. I have like 15 surfboards. Two more questions. If you had to give a TED Talk on nothing that you're known for, nothing that you speak about, could be on anything you want or have a passion for, what would it be? That would be DJing music. (laughs) It's really funny. I spent five years as part of my midlife crisis um, doing uh, DJing, DJing and touring around the country um, doing shows. That's, we have, we are really, really in alignment. Wow. That's really crazy. Uh, Last question. Um, Ask me anything uh, you want. Let's change it up a bit, a little bit. What one question would you like to ask me? it's a part A and B. A, part A is, have you ever done any plant medicine ceremonies? I'm terrified. Okay. Terrified, (laughs) which is probably the reason why I need to do it. Yep, yep, you sure do. Um, Okay, okay, my question changes at that point. If you had to live one place and you could not leave that place ever again, you have your family with you, but you could not leave that place ever again, where would you move to and why? Italy, because they focus on the things that matter. Family, food, life. We're, uh, we just booked yesterday, two months in Italy. We're taking four months off before we moved to California in October. Um, and uh, we're taking two months to live in Italy for the reasons that you just mentioned. I've just always wanted to do it. And I said, if I can only live one place, it would be Italy. So I want to I want to do a little micro test. So we're going to do six weeks in, uh, in Lecce, um, a week in Rome and uh, two weeks in a place. Uh, I'm sorry, six weeks in Florence, a week mm-hmm. in Rome and a place called Lecce uh, for two weeks. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. That's super cool. Well, dude, I absolutely, this hour flew by. Um, I am so grateful that I got a chance to meet you and connect with you. I'm so grateful that you took the time to do this. And this was really a lot of fun. Do you have any final words, suggestions, or an ask for the people that are listening? Um, Yeah, it's a reminder that um, there's only one of you. There's only one of you. You are a unique emanation of the most high, whatever you call that. 
And out of 7.7 billion people, you are here for many reasons. And it is your duty to dispense the medicine that is on your heart every day, every moment, every month that you hide, that you hoard, that you wait, that you get ready to get ready. You are robbing people who need to hear from you. So it's game time. Step out, step in, and let's do this. I am, we are, hashtag loves voice. Let's get it. Dude, I'm ready. To, I'm ready to go out and just fly. I mean, this was incredible. Thank you so much for taking the time. Beautiful. Thank you. All right. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and you know someone that needs some help in either stepping up their work hard game or their play hard game, it would mean the world to me if you shared this podcast with them to help me get this movement out there. So if you like what you heard, head on over to iTunes, take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. So until the next episode, excuses are over. It's time to live.